You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Dr. Sleep. When I was a kid, there was a place. A dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. But the things that lived there... They come back. Not many ride the bus this far north. You're running away from something. I'm running away from myself, I guess. You can hear me. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. I always called it the shining. The world is a hungry place. A dangerous place. These people, they hurt people like us. These empty devils. They'll eat what hands. And they've noticed that little girl. Wow. Hi there. Get out of my head! Get out! I haven't felt power like that in so long. They're coming. Where are we going? There's a place. I'm ready. Yes, you run, dear. And then I will find you. And you will scream for years. Come play with us forever and ever. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Dr. Sleep and the story is as follows. Struggling with alcoholism, Dan Torrance remains traumatized by the sinister events that occurred at the Overlook Hotel when he was a child. His hope for a peaceful existence soon becomes shattered when he meets Abra, a teen who shares his extrasensory gift of the shine. Together they form an unlikely alliance to battle the true knot, a cult whose members try to feed off the shine of innocence to become immortal. The film is starring Uma McGregor, Rebecca Ferguson, Kylie Curran, and Cliff Curtis. It is written and directed by Mike Flanagan. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Cody Derricks. Hello. Okay, Cody, excited uh, to have you on here with me to talk about Dr. Sleep. Um, you are a big horror movie fan. I naturally assume you love The Shining. <laughs> sure do. Yeah, I wasn't able to be on the podcast review, but basically everything you guys were saying, you couldn't hear me, but I was just kind of pointing at the sky, vigorously agreeing with everything. <laughs> so yeah, that's totally my kind of movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get what you mean by that. Uh, this movie is based off of uh, a sequel novel to The Shining that Stephen King wrote called also uh, Dr. Sleep. And in many ways, uh, Stephen King, I suppose, wrote this in retaliation almost to uh, what Stanley Kubrick did with his adaptation of The Shining back in 1980, a film that Stephen King notoriously uh, disapproves of. Uh, he did not like a lot of the changes that Stanley Kubrick made. So director Mike Flanagan, who 
had this really, really awesome uh, surge, if you will, uh, when he directed uh, for Netflix The Haunting of Hill House, is someone who now finds himself in like a very tricky situation where he has to appease both the fans of Stephen King's words, but also like the fans of Stanley Kubrick's vision of what he did in The Shining with this sequel. And the question is, is he able to pull it off or not? Cody, before I get your general thoughts on that, uh, tell me a little bit maybe about just from a context perspective, like what you were taking into Dr. Sleep before the movie began in terms of have you read the book? How familiar were you with all of this? And obviously we know you love The Shining. So why don't we start there and then we'll get into our thoughts on the movie. Yeah, so The Shining, like I said, one of my favorites. It's one of the first movies I remember seeing and being like, oh, oh, I'm scared, but also really kind of enjoying this rather than just wanting to shut it off. So it's really important to me in a way for a movie about, you know, a murderous hotel. And I went into this not knowing anything about Dr. Sleep. I haven't read either The Shining or this uh, novel. So I was excited to see how they were able to thread the needle between being a sequel narratively to a book that is a sequel to another book that is kind of different from the movie version of that book because like you said the shining movie is pretty significantly different from what i understand from the book but the movie even just from the trailers looked to really be adopting some of the kind of visual aesthetic and moments from the movie the shining so i was really excited to see how they were possibly going to bridge those two gaps and to my mind they absolutely did it like wonderfully i really enjoyed this movie well that's really good to hear um i didn't <laughs> there are elements that i like i, I don't want to sound too too harsh here um but i i have some reasons behind it i'm actually curious to hear what you did like about it so much because i'm wondering if it might change my mind a little bit here um so heading into uh, Dr. Sleep, I had just recently rewatched The Shining. We did our podcast review on it. I'm not the biggest fan of that movie, if I'm being completely honest with you. But the thing I love about The Shining more so than anything are the amount of discussions that it does provoke from uh, a bunch of people. The theories, um, you know, like just diving deep into the mysteries of like what does it all mean and such. You know, uh, the documentary Room 237 uh, really goes into that in great detail, I, I have found. That documentary is kooky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So heading into this, I was kind of hoping for a similar kind of a vibe, if you will, that The Shining gave off, where... To me, The Shining is not so much a scary movie in a visceral sort of a way, like something like, say, uh, The Conjuring is, you know, with its jump scares and eerie tone, if you will. But The Shining is more psychologically scary to me. Um, and Dr. Sleep, kind of as I was watching it, I thought veered a little bit more into the big studio uh, definition of what a horror film is as opposed to like the art house horror film. That's something like The Shining or VA24, uh, you know, horror films that have come out in recent years are more like. And in that regard, I was slightly disappointed with Dr. Sleep that it played a lot of things uh, very conventionally and it didn't take what was, in my opinion, big, bold risks, if you will, in terms of its storytelling see i think um the things that you're saying that you didn't enjoy are actually kind of the big bold risks that i responded to because they're disguised as typical plot beats in a way if okay. that makes sense i i my first reaction leaving this movie is wow this is going to be very mixed reception and i was kind of right i think um 
especially the first two thirds, they kind of almost seem to revel in withholding elements that made the original Shining such a classic in a way that I find kind of brave in a way because then it allows not to spoil too much but the third act to kind of really play on all those callbacks and things that we were hoping to see and it makes it even more exciting because we've been waiting like almost two hours for this kind of revelation and the first two thirds are really very much like a psychological examination of trauma and addiction and all these themes that Mike Flanagan really in seeing his work that he's you know been producing for the past decade or so he really loves those themes and seems to respond to them and uh i agree with you that i don't think it's very scary and it's interesting because mike flanagan can either be really uh psychological and um not you know outright scary in something like gerald's game which is still spooky in its own way or he also has the ability to be like classic horror filmmaking and something like the haunting of hill house So I think it's really a specific choice from him to withhold the typical scares in that way because he seems to be more interested in examining elements of the story and less about creating horror set pieces. Not to say that I don't like horror set pieces because obviously I do, but I think he was more interested in the kind of themes and the character work. A couple of different things. Uh, One, I know before I mentioned uh, Haunting uh, on Hill House, um, I I, I do want to acknowledge that I understand Mike Flanagan had a career before that Netflix miniseries came out. Uh, Hush is pretty awesome. Gerald's Game, as you mentioned before, I enjoyed as well. And there are a couple of other good ones in there. So he's definitely got a really great body of work. And I think that everything he does here on a technical level, the way the film is shot, the overall tone of it, uh, the way he plays with sound, editing, um, I, I think that he is definitely a very gifted filmmaker in that regard. And I agree with you, Cody, that when the film is touching upon the themes of alcoholism, of trauma, um, it, it it really does... I really do think it is saying something uh, deeply resonant and also something, too, that obviously is very personal to Stephen King. And I, I think that comes through in the literary sense when you're watching the film. My issues with the first two hours of the movie is not so much to do with the pacing because it is it is a long movie it's over two and a half hours long it's longer than the shining itself um but to be honest there was a lot going on with the plot itself in those first two hours that i thought the film was kind of dragging its feet with giving us explanations behind um there's just a lot of stuff that happens uh from a supernatural standpoint that i don't think we as the audience are ever really clued in as to what the rules are, what does all of this mean necessarily, what can and can't people actually do, what is the true motivations of this character or of this group of people. Um, it, there was a lot of confusion for me in those first two hours. Gotcha. Uh, not to say I disagree, but that didn't bug me. Okay. All right. That's fine. <laughs> um, and I, I think the length actually helps it out because I think some of the things that they ask you to kind of buy into and find horrifying on a way that we as regular non-supernatural humans would relate to, stuff like killing children and gobbling up the steam that For the record, of them. that scene yeah. with Jacob Tremblay, um, oh my God. other than the third act, probably most horrifying scene in the whole movie. Credit to Jacob Tremblay and how he played that because that really disturbed me. That was horrifying. I I was horrified. Yeah, it was viscerally horrifying. And I mean, it really, (laughs) I love that they were like, well, we have one scene and we need this, you know, we need to really sell this moment because that's where you, the first time where you see 
how horrifying this cult can be and how unfeeling they can be towards other people, especially children. So, of course, you hire, you know, the actor that gave us the best child performance of the decade to do one scene because you know he has the ability to carry it and make it work. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, I think you need that length of time. The runtime needs to be long for you to kind of know the weight and stakes of, um, again, the kind of maybe in a vacuum goofy things that we're seeing, like how these cult members operate and how some of the uh, the like psychic stuff works. Um, so I didn't mind the length personally. Yeah, I, I probably should have opened up this podcast by greeting you by saying, well, hi there. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I got to say, God bless Rebecca Ferguson. I could not pin down her accent. And I real I'm somebody who really likes her as an actor. But afterwards, my friends and I were frantically Googling where she's from, where she's been in her life, because we were not sure really what was going on there in a performance that otherwise I quite liked. You know, it, it's interesting too, because at first I didn't like it because I actually thought that it was uh, kind of cartoonish and silly, if you will. And mm-hmm. once again, um, for a movie that's dealing with such heavy uh, themes and is also a sequel to a movie that, you know, I, I don't know, I guess it's like one person's interpretation of whether or not if you find elements of The Shining to be uh, campy, if you will. But I, I didn't know if I was really vibing with this performance, but I have to say ever since I've now seen the film and um, I've had time to kind of stew on it a little bit, there are elements of that performance that I can't get out of my mind from her. And um, I just keep coming back to the fact that she looks like that she is having a really, really good time playing this totally. character on screen. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, because they say that in order to, uh, get a better outcome from the horrifying things they do it benefits them to make their victims scared and fearful it makes sense that a character like her who has lived for a while would you know kind of default to being a spooky almost cartoon villain of a horror character because that's how they've been living their life because it benefits them to be as spooky as possible all the time so i didn't at first i kind of thought the same thing where i was like she's really doing this huh yeah (laughs) i kind of reasoned it into a better performance than maybe it was on the surface but yeah i still liked her in the movie yeah i would actually go so far as to say she's probably my mvp of the film even though i think ewan mcgregor uh does turn in strong work it's not um overly strong work and that's very interesting to me considering that he is uh for many portions of this movie the focal point and really our um our our guide if you will into the story and uh there were times where i was thinking to myself oh you mcgregor's like delivering possibly one of his best performances here uh but as is like typical with him i i always find that he especially nowadays i've never found that his later work has ever been as strong and as exciting as his uh earlier work because uh, he just always remains consistently good and does his job. He does it well. And then he kind of like lets other people in the movie kind of steal it from him. And in many ways, I feel like Rebecca Ferguson did that. Um, I feel like uh, Kylie Coran, uh, who I think does a really decent job here, uh, also outshines him. No pun intended. And uh, <laughs> director Mike Flanagan with uh, his style um, at times, I think, also outshone uh, Ewan McGregor. That's not to say I think he's bad in the movie, but I was very surprised with how much focus that w- was placed on him and with such a meaty character dealing with so many psychological issues. That performance did not go to a level of, say, something like a um, uh, like a Tony Collette in uh, Hereditary or sure. Lupita Nyong'o in Us where I'm walking away from a horror film going, that performance was incredible. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I I think it I think he grounds it in a way that is good for the movie because he has the the thing about Hugh McGregor that I think makes him an engaging presence to watch is he does have that kind of like old Hollywood innate movie star charm where you just trust him and you want him to succeed, which is something you can't really pretend you have if you don't have it so i can see in that sense why he you know has had a decent career um i i also didn't find him for not like specifically stellar in terms of performance but yeah he i i I was watching his uh torturous journey and especially in the first third was hard to watch because he's a he's a charming guy yeah yeah i i I definitely can understand that and you know it's very interesting the way that they set up his character and such but once again there was a lot of jumping around between locations um there was a lot of like mystery surrounding like i said the uh intentions of the true knot uh what their powers exactly were uh what the hell is steam all of a sudden and then you find out later that steam is the shining they're just calling it something different and i i like i said there was a very very long stretch where he was actually the one like you said grounding the movie for me where the movie was threatening to lose me at every turn yeah the thing what you said about locations that actually is probably my biggest criticism of the movie because it's adapted from I assume knowing Stephen King, it's a big book, probably. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of locations and a lot of traveling, and it kind of gave me, like, latter Game of Thrones vibes where I wasn't sure where we were or how far we were from the previous location and how much time had passed between locations. And it's not really super important, but there were one or two moments where I was like, wait, where are we? Wait, how are they able to get here? That's my biggest criticism, I'd say. And then, like, you know, when you have a story that's this involving with so many um, unreal elements, uh, supernatural elements, if you will, one thing that constantly irks me um, in a lot of movies like this, it it happened recently in Terminator Dark Fate, um, and it happened here as well. Um, I, I, I get annoyed when characters just go along with the plot. It's like some guy just randomly shows up at your doorstep. Yeah, I've got these, like insane powers and there's like no questions asked and all of a sudden now these two characters are intertwined and they're going on this journey where they've put complete trust in each other's uh in each other for their lives and so on and so forth and i just like there were times where i felt like the uh development between certain characters relationships were just completely rushed um especially between abra and ewan mcgregor which the film does have scenes where they try to set up the link between the two of them but by the time we got to like the end of the film, I, I, I don't know, just for me, it wasn't as strong and as compelling of a connection that I was hoping for, I suppose. I, I kind of, it worked for me, actually. I think because I kind of tied in the idea of characters who have something that makes them special finally finding somebody else that is similar to them in mm-hmm. the same way that Halloran and Danny bond in the first movie, sure. even though they are... 40 years apart in age and have just met but you know as this movie shows became in a way lifelong friends so i think it really kind of speaks to and it ties into the idea of when you are somebody with um maybe a a traumatic past or something it's easy to bond with people who have a similar traumatic past and if we use the shining as metaphor for any sort of not to keep using the word trauma, but trauma, then I think that really kind of uh, does the work for you in terms of making you believe that the characters would be friends pretty quickly. Also, I I think that's maybe, again, something where maybe in the novel, with the benefit of having more um, time and space to write, uh, you 
feel their connection more over time whereas in this it kind of relies on the audience to buy into it or not yeah yeah one other element that i also really liked about the movie is i liked early on when he was working um in in the hospice uh with the uh with the people that were knocking on death's door um with the cat with the cat yeah and you know it's like they worked the title of the movie in their doctor sleep you know, because we're all, I, I, I like many other people that maybe are not familiar with the book. We're wondering what the hell is Dr. Sleep like even like, what does it mean <laughs> necessarily? I even heard one person recently be like, is this like a Dr. Strange sequel? And I was, I was like, stop it. <laughs> I, I got to say, I did like that. They named it something completely different from The Shining. That's like kind of yeah. brave in a way. Movies don't really do that except for Marvel movies. And that has the benefit of being able to say Marvel. Could you imagine if it was called The Sleeping? <laughs> right. Or like The Shining 2 sleep time i don't know yeah 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 uh but i i did like the thematic uh underlying of death in that section of the movie a lot and i thought it tied in beautifully with the ending of the film as well so i like all of that i also i mean without getting into like two heavy spoilers here i adore the third act me too i mean how could you not i was i was truly on the edge of my seat and i'm not i'm not exaggerating i was every turn of the camera every sound effect i was just really really engrossed in it and i mean that's the benefit of having a strong third act is that you leave the movie thinking maybe it's better than it was but i don't care it worked on me the production design set re- recreation oh my god the look-alike actors uh the, the music the music shot for shot recreation of certain scenes mm-hmm. from the 1980 film that literally for a brief second i thought was the old footage yep yep my friends were similarly uh tricked <laughs> it, it was pretty astounding and i thought done very tastefully well respectful it worked its way into the story in such a way that um, I never felt like it was pandering or uh, winking its eye at fans. Yeah, it, wasn't, it all just seemed it wasn't to make fan sense. service at all. Yeah, no. Especially because they withheld that for so long in the movie. They know they could have just easily been throwing references and moments at us from the very beginning if they were looking to kind of just scratch that itch of fans, but they didn't. So I give that, I, it, give, it makes me have more respect for the moments. Yeah. The only thing I think I was underwhelmed by a little bit uh, was. And it's interesting, maybe not underwhelmed, uh, mixed, I'm, I'm mixed, is it's just the, the idea of this final showdown between Rose, Danny, and uh, Abra at the end. Um, and there is a very, very clever uh, point in the movie that uh, recreates the staircase moment from The Shining that I really liked a lot. But I don't know, there was something about, once again, you know, you're dealing with supernatural beings. I don't know how strong they are. I don't know what the limits of their powers are. I don't know what they can and can't do necessarily. And it just seemed like such a grandiose, like epic final showdown that they were setting up that just kind of like seemed very, I don't know, meh to me. (laughs) It does kind of just happen. And I also was similarly surprised that, oh, this is how we're doing it. But in a way, the thing that we're kind of talking around, that's not what the story is about. It's about Danny and about the, you know, literally facing the demons of his past and knowing when to keep them contained and when you have to occasionally peek in and, you know, reckon with those moments from your past. I I think that's what Mike Flanagan, especially, I'm sure, is way more interested in exploring based on his previous filmography. So it makes sense that that's kind of where the emphasis of the finale 
was. Agreed. And I thought that the way that it all wrapped up at the end uh, was clever. Once again, I thought it was tasteful. I didn't think it was bad. I didn't think it was bad. I think that, like I said, going back to my original thoughts, for a movie like the 1980 original that um, has had such an uh, enduring legacy because of how open-ended it is, um, because of how mysterious it is, and because of how when you watch it every time there's like a potential chance to get something new out of it, I don't feel that Doctor Sleep warrants the same repeat viewings that The Shining does. It is definitely more linear, but I will say something that makes me appreciate it as a sequel to something as uh, oblique as The Shining is there's moments in this movie that kind of flesh out things in the original in a way that doesn't necessarily say this is what that actually meant, that abstract moment that you weren't sure but it still gives it a little bit more um, narrative groundedness in a way. Yeah. And you can you know, take that into your future Shining viewings if you want. You can leave it behind. But it really, again, is kind of a miracle of like threading the needle of being a sequel to two different things and still giving us things to reflect upon from the original. And that's – I can't imagine – how hard that must have been to appease everybody involved from the studio who you know has interest in making this a sequel to their the shining movie from the 80s and then stephen king who has his own thing so that was really kind of miraculous to me yeah i i do agree because i do think that he does pull it off um as an adaptation of this book while also course correcting if you will things that stephen king might have thought that stanley kubrick Exactly. Um, yeah, it didn't get right necessarily. But also, like I said, the shot recreation, the production design, and like just borrowing certain elements that make that original film so iconic in a cinematic way and uh, reintroducing them here. I mean, there's that scene with uh, Henry Thomas uh, that is just... Oh my God, I had full body chills the entire time. <laughs> I, I, I legitimately thought I was going to get pulled out of the movie while watching it um, because clearly it's not Jack. But I was awestruck by how Flanagan framed that scene shot for shot exactly the same as Kubrick did. And there were just so many instances of that that I was just like, you know what? At the end of the day, I it, it's not fully working for me as a whole, but there are so many elements of this that I, I, I just I admire Mike Flanagan's passion. I really do. That moment especially is, I was amazed because it's a character literally facing his past and his demons. Yeah. So even if it wasn't the narrative climax in a way, in a, in a way it was the thematic climax. Yeah. And that's, I, I really loved it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so we're, we're kind of at a point, I think, uh, like I said, without getting into like really crazy spoiler territory, uh, where... I uh, want to know, like, you know, what whatever thoughts do you have about the film? Anything that we didn't talk about uh, that you want to mention? I will say, even though I didn't find it pretty explicitly scary in a typical horror movie way, there are some moments, especially in the hospice scenes that you mentioned, that reckon with mortality and death in a way that really chilled me as a human being. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it really made you just go, oh, yeah death i guess it's scary and you know the moment when we all have to face that moment is going to be something we're just not prepared for so that isn't typical horror movie you know fun scare but it is its own kind of uh it's it's its, its own way of being scary by making you kind of reckon with your mortality so i guess slight warning because that <laughs> it could definitely be upsetting to some people but also it's you know really 
beautiful filmmaking in a way. Yeah, I, I really, really loved all of those sequences. I thought that was really, really well done. And like you said, really helped to hammer home the themes of the of the movie. Um, I, I will admit, the more I'm kind of like talking through it, and like I said before in regards to like Rebecca Ferguson's performance, for example, it's a movie that while I was watching it, I, I may not have enjoyed the experience as much as I would have hoped to have. But ever since uh, it's been over, it, it has lingered in my mind, but not in a way that something like The Shining does where I'm like trying to piece it together and I'm obsessing sure. over it necessarily. But I can't deny that the themes that the movie does touch on are emotionally resonant and powerful. They're also more they're they're in the text of the movie as opposed to something like The Shining where you have to bring your own thing to it or you could just watch it as the story of a man losing his mind and attacking his family. This does not have the kind of ambiguousness of that movie. And it kind of, in fact, seems to, like I said, want to not course correct, but clarify some things from the original movie. So they're completely different in that way. So I think that's, again, why I thought it would definitely be a mixed reception because it's a sequel to The Shining, definitely in terms of story, but absolutely not in terms of any sort of aesthetic or thematic or directorial style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to um, Cliff Curtis in this movie um, as uh, Danny's friend uh, Billy. Um, I, I that was a relationship that I actually was invested in and I really enjoyed actually, um, and I wish there was more of it because I also really liked what Cliff Curtis was doing. As evidenced by uh, his final moment in the movie, I was like, oh, I wish, oh, I wish we got more. Yeah, and it and it, it their relationship ties. Uh together the idea of people bonding over um the bad things in life because they both have a history of alcoholism so that really just kind of solidifies those things even further. i agree and once again like you know that was very very strong uh, so much so I, I didn't really feel it it was like a subtle thing obviously but obviously w when you know you get to that moment collective gasp from everyone in the audience um myself included and i remember like thinking to myself oh you know i didn't really feel much of that connection um I guess in a uh, outward sort of a way, but internally I, I definitely felt it because that moment hit me pretty hard when it happened. So respect to the filmmakers for, like you said, casting other actors to play characters we've already seen, um, like recasting the roles from the shining rather than doing the, the in vogue CGI de-aging thing that we, which like at first I thought was the route that we were heading in. And then, mm -hmm. um, especially like when you see, uh, uh, she, uh, Oh God, I can't remember the actress's name, but the one who plays, uh, Shelley Duvall, uh, in this one, I can't remember the actress's name. Phenomenal. Spot on. Yeah. Unbelievably Captures spot on the vocal performance really well. It, it's the essence of the character. And yes, you do take a moment to go, Wait, that's not Shelley Duvall. Her face is a little different. But in the same way that you would, if you're watching a CGI de-aging, you would take the time to go, oh, wow, that looks like Samuel L. Jackson. That's amazing. That's his eyebrows from the 90s. You know, it's the same kind of taking you out of it that you would have seeing either way. So I, I kind of appreciate this kind of old school movie magic way of doing it, though. You know, like how in the Scream, they're making the stab movies. And they have, like, actors playing, like, everyone else and things like that. It almost seemed like if you were going to recreate, uh, like, shot for shot, uh, the movie The Shining, like, it would almost look something like this. <laughs> yeah, they're just a little off, but it still has the essence. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. really liked it. Very well done, uh, I have to say. Oh, man, Cody, I, th I, I think that you're – I think you're raising my grade. I, maybe. Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to stew on it just for a couple more seconds here. Uh, any other final thoughts from you or? Um, nothing specific. Again, just to, if you're going into this movie hoping for a Mike Flanagan exploration of childhood trauma and your uh, rough past, uh, you're going to get it. And he's really good at exploring those themes and uh, crafting a movie around it, especially a horror-based movie. So, yeah, highly recommended. All right. Uh, yeah, I I think that... I think that expectation definitely will play a huge role with this one. Um, I think I was expecting something along the lines of The Shining. Instead, it is its own beast entirely. And once again, Flanagan was in a very, very tough situation, uh, having to appease both fans of The Shining and also Stephen King. And even with the moments that he does incorporate from The Shining into the movie, I, I, I can't see how Stephen King would disapprove of this movie in any way, shape, or form. And clearly he hasn't. So I think he's a executive producer too so right i, I think it's all i think it's all yeah. done just very very tastefully um and respectfully uh to its source material both on the page and on the screen and i really really admire that a lot i am going to settle on a six out of ten i was okay. contemplating a seven um but i will just say that it's a strong six for me um Mostly because, like I said, and, and, you know, I think it is subjective um, from my point of view here, um, maybe because of expectation, like I was saying before. Maybe if I went into this one uh, never having even seen The Shining, uh, you know, it, it's very possible I could have even felt very differently about this. I, I'm not exactly 100% sure. But there were just a couple of things in it that I found to be like a little too kooky, um, like I said, mostly pertaining to the True Not uh, cult group. And I don't really know why this movie needed to be over two and a half hours long. I'm still like, you know, in terms of the plot and how much plot there is, I, I don't know if it warranted that runtime. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I was saying before about how I enjoy the runtime, because I think you need to soak in the characters and their abilities longer, but clearly didn't work for everybody. So Yeah, yeah. And I think that's like I said, because in the beginning of the film, you know, in terms of what's the true knot's purpose? What are they doing? Like, why do they have these canisters? Like, so many questions. And I didn't feel like I was getting answers for so, so long. Um, it also didn't help, too, that I wasn't, like I said, um, scared necessarily while watching this. But I was appreciating the craft that was on display, at least from Flanagan. So, you know, a bit of a mixed bag for me, but leaning more positive uh, than negative, I'll say. And I myself am at a nine out of ten. Whoa, I mean, pretty, whoa. pretty fairly high. I know. I knew you're gonna have that reaction. Whoa, <laughs> but I, it engrossed me fully the entire time. And then that third act was everything I wanted to see, and I liked being it, having it be withheld from me because it made me appreciate it even more. And that last third act bumped it up almost an entire two stars. I loved it that much. Wow. Yep. Oh my. Which is the same rating I have for The Shining. Uh, I'm so. just curious. Uh, where Where does this rank for you uh, in terms of like end of year uh, it's in my top 10 so far wow. i think it's number seven or eight i gotta say i'm i don't know if it's me or the film year but i'm being much more generous with my high ratings this year than i have been before i don't know if i'm just <laughs> more excited about movies right now for some reason or if movies are actually better but like this time last year i did not have i think any nine or tens out of tens now my entire top 10 is all that so Good job, 2019. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, and in terms of its Oscar potential, I mean, do you foresee any nominations for this anywhere? Yeah. No way. If if the original had gotten in, like it should have for production design or maybe even sound mix, which both of them it should have 
should have won those categories in a walk. I would say maybe because they might be excited to revisit that and like look at the comparison, but I don't I don't think so. I do think the production design in this movie is really good though. Yeah. And not just the shining recreation no. stuff. I mean there's like a bunch of varied locations. It's, it's good. Yeah. I particularly like uh Danny's apartment. Uh, that yeah. what is it? How much money a month? I can't remember, but the oh my god, it made me laugh. Yeah, that was that <laughs> was a good moment. <laughs> really, really it was enjoyed like that. Eighty dollars. Yeah, yeah. No noise, no parties, no pets. I'm like, so what? He's supposed to be a mouse up there? Like what? Yep. Ah <laughs> uh, man, but you know, yeah, all around, uh, good stuff. Not an Oscar movie by any means, uh, but. A solid one, I would say. Um, I didn't hate it. I don't want people to think that I hated this movie. I definitely didn't. I just was a tad bit underwhelmed is all. Yeah. It was It was very much my kind of movie where it's, you know, strong themes played out in a psychological horror way. Sure. Absolutely. Okay, Cody, thank you so much for joining me for this podcast review. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, I'm all over the internet, Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, at CodyMonster91. And if you liked this review, or especially this movie, give a listen to my horror movie podcast. We're Halloweeners. You can find us everywhere at Halloweeners Pod. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Dr. Sleep here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including our full review of the 1980 film The Shining. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.